All right, I want you to imagine something for me, okay? I want you to imagine you entered a contest to hang out with your favorite celebrity, sports star, movie star, artist, anything. Imagine that for a second, okay? You entered a contest. You ever entered a contest or maybe like a giveaway on Instagram and you like know you're never gonna win? Well, imagine this time you won. Imagine you and all of your friends get to hang out with your favorite sports star, your favorite artist, your favorite celebrity, whoever it is, you and all your friends who are fans of this person, you get to hang out with them for an entire day. And the plan is, what they're allowed to do is they're going to come over to your house, you guys are going to have a party, and then you guys are going to go out and do something, whatever you want to do. So this is how this day starts. You get to your house. You're already there. You don't get to your house. You're already there. Um, Your friends start to show up to your house. And imagine how excited you'd be because you'd be spending the whole day with this person. Well, as this is all happening, this person kind of surprises you and comes a little early. Where maybe you're already setting up the the stuff out. You're maybe setting up... um, You know when your mom tells you to clean when everybody's going to come over? What do they make you do? They make you make your bed even though it's like they're they're never going to go in my room. Uh, They make you put away your laundry even though it's like, well, they're not not even going to see my laundry. Well, you have to get ready, but this person kind of comes to you by surprise and he shows up or he, she shows up early and you're not ready yet. And imagine as you start to hang out and get to know this person and, and start to enjoy being with them, they start to notice things about your house that are not the way they should. They start to notice that you, uh, you didn't put your laundry away. They go to the trash can and maybe throw something away. And instead of finding an empty trash can that smells like uh, those nice bags smell, you know what those nice bags, there's a difference between the, the store-bought brands that are like not good smelling and the ones that are, you know what I'm talking about? Right? They open up the trash and it's just gross. It's got like old clothes in there. And... I don't know, not new clothes. You wouldn't throw new clothes away, except at Christmas time maybe. It's got all this gross stuff in the trash can and they see that. And then they say, hey, where's your bathroom? I need to go to the bathroom. You're like, oh, don't go in there. (laughs) And they go to the bathroom and um, let's just say they're not not pleased. they don't have a good time because they go in the bathroom and it's kind of gross and you got toothpaste in the, I was going to say the shower, but you know, toothpaste in the sink, it's kind of like crusted in there and it's kind of gross. And they, and you look in your shower, you guys have those showers that have a, that have a glass door. You guys have showers like that. What do you have to do every time you take a shower? So take that squeegee, right? Well, imagine you were getting ready so fast, the house was not squeegeed. So After this famous person shows up to your house, this famous person who is well-respected, you're meeting for the first time, they go around your house and it's gross. And you're like, oh no, I can't believe they they saw all this. Imagine as you and your friends are just kind of sitting there like, well, what should we do? They say, hey, um, where's your cleaning supplies? This celebrity comes up to you, this movie star, this artist, this sports star, they come up to you and say, hey, where are your cleaning supplies? You're like, oh, oh, don't, don't do that. Don't, no, I, they're under the sink, but no, I don't want you cleaning my house. Okay, yeah. And they go, they go under the sink. They start grabbing all the cleaning supplies. They grab the Comet. They grab the sponge. They grab the, the Clorox or whatever they use. You know what your, your parents use those, uh, those wipes that like clean everything? Those magic wipes? Or maybe the magic eraser. Maybe you put a hole in the wall or whatever. And they're grabbing spackle and they're grabbing all this stuff to clean your house. And you guys, you and your friends, you kind of just sit there and you're like, this is kind of awkward. Um, my favorite celebrity is like uh, cleaning my house right now and they are taking out the trash and like you offer to help, but then it's like, no, no, I got it. I got it. That would be really awkward. Um, and I want you to put yourself in the shoes of the person that, that happening to somebody. It would be weird. 
you'll be uncomfortable. And although that seems like a far-fetched, outlandish thing, that would never happen to me. It might feel that way, but I want to tell you that that actually happened one time. That happened that someone super important, someone very important, came to a house. They actually had dinner, and after dinner, he looked around, and there was something that was not done that should have been done. The trash wasn't out. The dishes weren't clean. The toilet wasn't scrubbed. Things were not done the way they should have been done. And instead of sitting idly by as the most important person, this person got in the mix and did it all. They did it all for you, even though you probably should have done it before they ever got there. Now that sounds like it's outlandish, but that actually happened. And I want to turn to a passage where that happens, where not just a celebrity, not just a sports star, but Jesus himself did something that everyone at the table would have said, no, don't do that. That's not for you to do. But Jesus did it. Grab a Bible and turn to John chapter 13. Grab a Bible and turn to John chapter 13. And we're going to start a new series. And in this series, we're going to see a dinnertime conversation. I don't know what you picture a dinnertime conversation with Jesus sounding like, but it sounds a lot like John 13, John 14, John 15, and John 16. So basically the next four or five chapters of this book are just him talking to his disciples. It's an intimate conversation with his friends. And this scene... It's a familiar one, but I don't want you to miss. I don't want you to miss out on what the powerful image is here. Put yourself back in the shoes of that person who invited that celebrity over. You won a contest. You've been hanging out with them, and then they start coming over to your house, and they start scrubbing your sink out with Comet, and they start cleaning your toilet. It'd be awkward. It would feel weird, but you'd feel in a weird way like humbled and privileged that they came into your house and did that for you, but it would feel wrong. There's something about it that feels wrong. Well, that's what happens here. Jesus, after eating dinner, it says, look at chapter 13, verse one. It says, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. It says during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper. So they had just been eating dinner and it says he knows all these things and he gets up and it says he laid aside his outer garment. So he had this cloak on or some big jacket on. He takes off that big jacket and all he's wearing now are his simple clothes. It says he took that off and then he also took this towel and it said he tied it around his waist and he poured water into a basin, which is a big bucket. You know those uh, Home Depot buckets? That's what I always think of. You know those big orange Home Depot like buckets? Or maybe you guys play baseball. Anybody play baseball? It's where you keep all the, the baseballs in that big bucket. You know what I'm talking about? Imagine he takes this big bucket and then starts pouring water into it. And then he puts it up by a chair where these disciples are sitting and he takes their feet and he puts them in the water. And you'd be like, that's gross. I don't, I don't want Jesus doing that to my feet. Well, that's actually something that happened all the time back in the day. They would wash feet. And actually what was supposed to happen was they were supposed to wash their feet before they had this meal. So and that's why I said it's like that scene where you were supposed to get ready. You were supposed to do all these things to your house. But instead, the most important person gets up from dinner and does the dishes. That's basically what happens here. Jesus gets up and washes the disciples' feet, which is gross. I want you to think about that. They walked all over the place. And that's what they did back then. They would walk all the time. They'd be wearing sandals, so they wouldn't be wearing closed-toed shoes. So when they're in this dusty, dirty city, I want you to imagine how gross their feet must have been. Could you imagine all of the dirt and all the grime and all the sweat? It would be disgusting. So they take off their sandals and start washing their feet. 
That was a job, by the way, that the historians tell us they didn't even let people in their family do. That was a job that was so low. It was like, I, I don't even want my husband or my wife cleaning my feet, right? I don't even want them doing that. I want a, a servant of servants to do that. Somebody really low, a low position. They should be doing it. Well, in the most awkward turn of events here, Jesus gets up and starts washing their feet. It's an act of love, but it's also an act of humility where he's just humbly coming down and he's saying, I'm, I'm a servant of all right now. This was so awkward that in verse six, check out verse number six, check out this in your Bibles. It says, so he came to Simon Peter, a guy you might know, and he said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Peter's like, you're not gonna wash my feet? Are you seriously? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing to you, you don't understand now, but afterwards you will understand. And Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. Imagine this celebrity coming up to you and being like, yeah, 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 I'll clean your toilet. And you're like, no, 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 you'll never clean my toilet. Or if they come up to you and say, I'll, I'll put the dishes away. Like, no, no, you're so important. You're never putting the dishes away. You're in my house. I will take care of this. That's how Peter felt, just like you would feel if someone came into your house that was important. Because you're never going to wash my feet. Jesus answered in a surprising way. He answered and said, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. He says, I'm not even going to get to know you. I'm not even going to be your friend if I don't cleanse you or wash you. And Simon Peter said, well, then don't just wash my feet, wash my hands and also wash my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who's bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who it was who was gonna betray him. And that's why he said, not all of you are clean. I want you to think about this passage. I want you to imagine being there, Jesus coming up to you and washing your feet. At the beginning of this passage, it says that Jesus loved them. And later on in this passage, Jesus is gonna say, you know, this thing that I did, washing your feet, this is something I want you to do for other people. And in our context, it might not look like getting a Home Depot bucket and pouring water into it and washing people's feet, but it does look like something else. Whatever it meant then, that act of humble service, doing something that everyone would have said, that's beneath me. Jesus said, that's not beneath me to serve my people. Jesus says, I want you to have that same mindset and I want you to adopt that too. He says, I want you to be a servant who loves people. That's the main idea from John chapter 13 that Jesus is teaching us and that what we should take away is that we wanna be like Jesus and wash people's feet, so to speak. What does that mean though? What does it really look like for us to wash people's feet? Well, first of all, I think you see here that Jesus very clearly shows them what it looks like to love. I want you to look at verse, 13, or verse one again in chapter 13. It says, he loved his own. He knew his own and he loved them to the end. So whatever's about to happen here, John's trying to set it up and say, this is out of love. Jesus is gonna do something out of love. And when we think about love, and maybe when you think about love, I wonder what you think of. If I say, what is love all about? What would you tell me? You might think of some things. You might think of hearts. You might think of uh, emotional quotations that you see on Instagram, on your explore page, like uh, quotes. Not me, I, I don't have that, but you know what I'm talking about? You might think of like emotional quotes. You might think of, um, love stories. You might think of movies. I don't know what you think of when you think of love, but Jesus helps us understand what it is right here by what he does. And I think what we need to do first of all is understand what love is by looking at what Jesus did. So point number one, I'd love for you to write this down. Learn the how-tos of love from Jesus. Learn the how-tos of love from Jesus. What does it really mean to love one another? Well, I think he starts to show us that right here by what he did. Start to see that right here when he washes their feet. Now, that doesn't mean that we're supposed to 
grab people's feet and start washing them. But I want you to think about what that must have been like. Why do they need to have their feet washed? Well, I think at the beginning, just on a surface level, um, their feet were dirty. They needed to, to be clean. It was a kind act of love. Just like uh, a lot of things that I mentioned in that earlier illustration. Imagine someone coming to your house cleaning things. You wouldn't even want you know, someone you care about to do that. But Jesus comes in and does it. It's not beneath him. The hard part about understanding this passage is everybody thinks that they understand what love is naturally. If I said, hey, you know, Jesus says we should love other people. You'll be like, yeah, I understand that because I know what it feels like to be loved by other people. But the problem is sometimes we don't fully understand what love is unless we look at what Jesus did for us. It's so important that we see it. And I want you to think about what Jesus did to show love for you. Let's think about that real quick. Because you might say, well, he didn't wash my feet. Well, I agree, he didn't wash your feet. But look what he says to Peter. He says, if I don't wash you, I have no part with you. I'm not even related to you if I don't wash you. What is he talking about there? I think that's where he goes from talking about physically washing feet to talking about something that's different, something that's symbolic. I think he's talking about cleansing from sin there. He's saying, if I don't cleanse you, if you don't embrace with humility my humble gift to you of forgiveness, then, then we've got no relationship with each other. And the same, same thing's true today. Jesus never washed your feet. That's true. But he did do something that was much bigger and much better than washing your feet. What he did was he came to wash you of your sins. And I think that's even what he's talking about in this relationship, in this conversation with Peter. He's talking about if I don't wash you of your sins, we're not even friends. You can't even know God if I don't wash you of your sins. And that's what he's getting at. That's what he came to do, not just for Peter and not just for the disciples, but also for us. I want you to think through really, what, 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 what did Jesus do for me? Seriously, for you. What did he do for you? If you start to think through what Jesus did, it actually is really amazing. If you think through that he left heaven for you when he came to earth, right? That's amazing. Leaving heaven. What would it be like to leave heaven as God and then become a, a human being, take on flesh and live? Not just aimlessly, not just because you're trying a science experiment, but because someone needed rescuing, you and me. He left heaven for you. Then he came to earth for you. And then when he was a kid and growing up and a teenager, he, he lived an entirely perfect life for you. And sometimes we don't think about that. We just think about Jesus dying on the cross for us. That's the first thing we think of. And that's the biggest thing he did. But before he died for us, he also lived for us. Did you know that we could not go to heaven if Jesus didn't live a perfect sinless life? The reason is we need a perfect sinless life to cover us. And that's what he gets at with Peter. He says, if I don't wash you, if I don't cleanse you of your sin, you have no part in me. Same thing's true today. You cannot even belong to God. You can't even be a Christian if Jesus doesn't cleanse you of your sins. And it's very clear. That's what he does for his people, the people who turn from their sins and repent of their sins and trust in him. He lived a perfect life for you. Then he was betrayed. Think about what's gonna happen in this passage. He says, not all of you are clean. And he's gonna start to talk about this person who's gonna betray them. He was betrayed. And he wasn't just betrayed for Peter. He was also betrayed for you. And then he died on the cross. He didn't just die on the cross instantly. It wasn't like an electric chair or anything like that. It was a long, slow, painful death. If you start to think of what Jesus did at Good Friday, you start to realize that he was tortured. And he's tortured for you. He was tortured for me. I mean, think about that. Imagine someone doing that for you. And the reality is you don't even have to imagine it. It is what Jesus Christ, the God man, did for you. Then he rose again for you. He didn't have to do that, I guess. He couldn't, didn't have to defeat death for you, but that's what he did. He defeated death for you. 
He came, he lived, he was tortured, he died, and he rose again. And he did that for every person who trusts in him. I want you to think about that, okay? Now, once he starts to move on to say, now I want you to start showing love to other people, don't let that come out of your mind. That's the first thing that's got to stick in your mind. How did Jesus love? That'll start to give us the bearings for understanding what it looks like to love. Look at verse 12. Now he's going to say, after he washed their feet, it says, when he had washed their feet, and put on his outer garments and resumed his place. He sat back down. He said to them, do you understand what I've done for you? The reality is they didn't really get it. Verse 13, he says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do as I have done. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. If I asked for volunteers tonight, not for a game, but I said, hey, who wants to, um, who wants to wash everybody's feet? Might've got a couple guys who think they're funny to raise their hand, but mostly nobody would raise their hand for that, right? Because you think, no, no, no. There are some things that I would not do for other people. You feel that way? Like, yeah, I might help them out. I might do some things, but there are some things I would never do for them. I would never take out the trash for my younger siblings. I would never do that because it's their responsibility. I would never encourage that person who's been mean to me. They've been mean to me. You don't understand. I would never encourage them. Certain things we think, well, that's beneath me. I could never do that. Jesus shows in the ultimate act of humility, nothing is beneath me. There is nothing that is too small. There's nothing that's too insignificant that I won't do for my people. Now think about that. Now, if Jesus is gonna say, I'm the master and you're the servants, right? That's how this this arrangement works. I'm the master and I served you. Now, what should you do to other people? What should you do to other servants of Jesus? Well, if Jesus did it, I should do it too. If Jesus was not above serving other people, I should not be above serving other people. And I think most of us, you might understand like, yeah, yeah, we're supposed to serve people, but I want you to really test that. How far would you go to serve people? How far would you really go? Maybe for the people that don't even like you. Maybe for the people that are mean to you, how far would you really go? Sometimes we forget that when Jesus washed their feet, he wasn't just washing all of his friends' feet. Look what it says of verse 18. He says, I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I've chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you might believe that I'm he. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever receives the one I send receives me. Whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. He's talking about God there. He says we can know God if we receive him. But notice it says there's someone that's not gonna do that. I want you to think about this foot washing scene and it's easy to picture maybe Peter having his feet washed, but imagine there's another person there. His name is Judas. Another person named Judas who's sitting there. You know Judas as the one who betrayed Jesus. He's really famous as the bad guy. I don't know any of you that are named Judas. There might be some Peters and Johns and Jameses and and other disciples named Matthews. There might be some of you, but there's no Judases here today because Judas was the traitor, right? Well, Jesus showed love even to him. Now, when you think about this love, and we know we're supposed to love other people, what we oftentimes don't think is I owe it to other people to love them, right? We think, well, love is like extra credit. It's like the other thing I could do. But Jesus says, no, I'm the master. You guys are the servants but I served you. Now what I call you to do is serve other people. Point number two, I want you to write this down. Realize that you owe love 
to others. Realize that you owe love. And the reason I put it that way, and I want you to write it down, you owe love, is because we don't often think that. We think we don't owe love. We just, we, we can do it and it's nice of us to do, but that's like on us. It's the kind, you know, overreaching thing. We don't have to show love to people, but, but it's good when we do. Jesus says, no, no, no. I'm the master, you're the servant. I served everybody and you, you better do likewise. It's interesting when all this happens, one thing that we forget and the other gospels tell us this, do you know what the disciples were talking about right before this happened? Luke chapter 22 says what was going on here. Luke said that right before this, this Passover feast, it says a dispute, a fight arose among them as to which of them was regarded as the greatest. The disciples were literally arguing, hey, who, who's the most important disciple here? Who's like the best disciple? Is it me? Is it Peter? Is it James? Oh, well, John really has a good relationship with Jesus. Well, Peter's a really good preacher. Yeah, well, I don't know who's the greatest. Maybe it's Thaddeus. Maybe, maybe Judas said, I'm the greatest. We don't know what they were all saying. All we know is they were arguing about who was the best and the greatest. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles, the non-Christians out there, they exercise lordship over people and those who are in authority call them, are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as the one who serves. Or who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? It's the one who reclines at the table. Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. It's like you guys are all sitting down at the table and I'm the one cleaning up after you. But guess what? I'm the master. It's just backwards. But when you think of that, you start to realize, wow, I owe love to other people because Jesus loved me. This is a passage I want you to write down and I'd love for you to memorize if you have the chance. Philippians chapter two. Philippians two, verse three, four, and five. Philippians two says that not only are we supposed to show love to people, we're supposed to have an attitude of love where we say in our hearts, we don't just pretend it out loud, we, we, we really mean it in our hearts, that we care about other people more than we even care about yourself. That's Philippians chapter two, verse three. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourself. I want you to think about that. Have you ever, counted other people more significant than yourself. Or maybe think back on a time, maybe you did do that, where you could have had something or you could have been first, but instead you put someone else as first and you counted them and consider them in your brain, they're more significant than me and that's why I'm gonna put them first. I wonder, I bet a lot of us have never even thought that way, but that's what this says. Verse four, it says, let each of you not only look to his own interests, but also to the interests of others and have this mind, have that mindset, that attitude among yourselves, not just in one of you, but in all Christians, which is yours in Christ Jesus, because Jesus had that attitude too. Humility, saying there's nothing beneath me. I want you to think of maybe some small things that you can do to help other people in your life, really small things, things that aren't a big deal, things that people wouldn't say, well, that's not like going and dying for a person, but they're small things. They're being kind to people in your life that you know are, are kind of sensitive. It maybe looks like serving people in your family. Maybe your mom who's really busy with other stuff and you can do something kind and small to serve her. Or also you could do it in another way, maybe by with your parents not complaining when things aren't going your way, not complaining and not making it a hard time for your parents. You might say, well, that's a small thing. Well, that's fine because that's actually what Jesus is talking about and what Paul's even talking about in Philippians 2. Look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Consider those people like your parents, like your siblings, more significant than yourself. I wonder if that's ever come out of your mouth. 
That'd be so interesting if this right here became so fixated in your mind where you say, I'm gonna consider other people more significant than me. That that would even come out in the way we talk. That's what Paul was looking for. Because there's nothing that ruins community more than selfishness. And that's what he's getting at. Because if we're only focused on ourselves, we're never gonna make good friends. We're never gonna be good friends. Humility, that's what makes for the best groups of people, the best community. Pridefulness, that's what destroys relationships. Selfishness, that's what tears people apart, putting our own interests before others. And it's interesting that in all this, you know what Jesus is doing with the disciples? He's getting them ready for when he's gone. He's getting them ready to be good church leaders and church members. He's getting them ready to be brothers and sisters in Christ with other people. That's what he's teaching them. He's also teaching us through this. Look at verse 21, back in our passage. John chapter 13, verse 21. After saying these things, telling them, hey, I'm the master, you're the servant. I loved, you should love too. I set this as an example for you. It says, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and he testified, he said something. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. One of you, that, that I washed your feet, that I've been good to for years, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked around at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. They're like, who is who's he talking about? One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table at Jesus's side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So it says, it describes this scene here where Jesus is at this table. And you might expect tables to be like with chairs and tables. They sat at those a lot, but there was another type of table. I think a special type of table that they sat at, at Passover, where they would lean to one side. So imagine someone's like leaning down on the ground. Their feet are pointed out and they're all kind of facing towards the table here. They're leaning on one side and kind of eating like this. It says that there was a disciple that Jesus loved and he doesn't actually give his name because we think it's the author of this book. He says that at the end of the book, that I'm the disciple who Jesus loved. We think it's the apostle John, the youngest. It says he's sitting so close to Jesus and Peter like whispers across the table and says, hey, ask Jesus who's gonna betray him. He just said Jesus was, or someone's gonna betray Jesus. Ask him who it was. So John says, leaned back. So what that means is the way that they were sitting, John was just to the right side of Jesus and he just leaned his head back and said, hey, Jesus, hey, who, who's it that's gonna betray you? It says, Jesus took a little bit of bread. It says he, he dipped it in the cup and he says, it's the one that I'm gonna give this piece of bread to. It says he turned to the person right next to him. Actually, the one is right behind him, it seems, and gave it to him. And his name was Judas. So the way that they were sitting, it was Judas, then Jesus, then John. It seems like Peter was across the table from John. John asks Jesus. Jesus gives the bread to Judas. Judas is right behind him in this almost poetic way, like he can stab him in the back. And that's what he's about to do figuratively. He's right behind him. Seat of honor, important seat, because Judas was important. Forget that Judas was a really important disciple. It says he gave this morsel, this little piece of bread to Judas Verse 27 says, after he had taken the morsel, this is Judas Iscariot, it says, Satan entered him. Right? And that's a little confusing. Like, what do you mean? Satan entered him. Did he become like demon-possessed, Satan-possessed? We're not sure exactly what this was like, but the main idea is that because of his choices to do sinful things and his big choice to betray Jesus and sell him out, it's like Satan entered him. And now he was under his control. It says, after he'd taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. And Jesus said to Judas, what you're gonna do do quickly, or basically speed this up. If you're gonna do it, do it right now, go. 
Verse 28 says, no one else at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that Judas had the money bag and Jesus was telling him, go buy something we need for the feast or give something to the poor. It says, so after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out and it was night. Which isn't just talking about what time of day it was. This whole book, right? Jesus has been portraying himself as the light of the world, right? It says, and Judas runs out into the darkness. He doesn't just run out into the physical darkness. He also runs out into the spiritual darkness because he's chosen to betray Jesus. He had these plans to sin and he, he carried them through. I think when you think of this whole theme where Jesus is talking about love, it's so interesting that Judas does the most unloving thing possible to Jesus. I want you to think about that. If we just talked about all the things that Jesus did for his people, he washed their feet. And for us, he, he lived and he died and he rose again. Jesus did that for us. What's the most unloving thing that we could do to him? I think that's what Judas did. It's betray him. It's reject him. And the thing is, you might think, well, I can't betray him like Jesus. I can't sell him out. That's true. But certainly we can choose sin over Jesus. People do it all the time. Tons of people come to church and they, they hear the good news that Jesus can save them. But instead of embracing Jesus and following him, they turn the other way and they say, I'm gonna live in my sin anyway. I wonder if that has been your plan. I wonder if you've maybe thought about that, like, well, maybe I'll go to the narrow and maybe when I'm done with the narrow or done with true north or whatever, when I go out and live on my own, then I'll live my sinful life. Maybe you've thought that. Maybe you right now, maybe you have plans to do sinful things. Maybe in a less extreme sense, maybe it's not just like leaving the faith and, and not following Christ. Maybe it's you, maybe you claim to be a Christian and, and someone was mean to you and you have plans right now. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stab them in the back. I'm gonna do something that's gonna make them feel bad. Make them feel some type of pain. I'm gonna make them feel bad. Maybe you think that. That's what Judas was thinking. And Jesus in control of this whole situation lets him sin. I want us to think that through as well. Point number three, I want you to write this down. Cancel any plans to selfishly sin. Cancel any plans to selfishly sin, whether it's in a big sense like Judas to betray Jesus and leave him or in maybe a smaller sense to stab someone in the back, to be unloving, to be selfish. Whatever the selfish sin is, cancel that plan. All of this was in Jesus's plan. So it wasn't like Jesus was caught off guard. In fact, he, he says early in the passage, I'm telling you this now so that you'll know when this all goes down and I'm betrayed that this is all a, a part of the plan, that God was totally in control of this. But I want you to think, what must it have been like to be Judas? You've been with Jesus for years. You've been hearing the good news. You've been hearing all of it and then you reject him. That just seems like, all of us would be like, I'd never do that. If I lived with Jesus and talked with Jesus and walked with Jesus and seen him do those miracles and heard him teach, I would never give up on Jesus then. But Judas does. I think a lot of people would say that maybe about some people in youth group. It's like, well, if I, if I had grown up in the church and known about the gospel, I never would have turned away from it to enjoy sin, but that's what so many people do. And maybe right now you're tempted to do that too. You're tempted to choose to do these selfish sins instead of following Christ with your life. Maybe you're tempted to do that. It says cancel those plans for sin. Judas had some opportunity to repent, but he didn't. He didn't take him up on that offer. If you think about 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, that'd be a good verse to write down. And we're gonna look at that in small groups in a minute. 2 Corinthians 6, 2 says, today is the day of salvation. Today. 
Not tomorrow, but today. All you have to respond correctly to Jesus with repentance and faith is right now. That's all you know you have right now. Judas, after all this goes down, he certainly regrets what he did. I want us to see that warning that's in this passage very clearly and do our best to avoid it. Look at verse 31, back in the passage. Now, think about it. After that whole point, there was a betrayer. There was a traitor in everyone's midst. But now, finally, for the first time, Jesus is talking to true disciples and only true disciples. That's why verse 31 says, when he had gone out and Judas had left, Jesus said, now is the time for the son of man to be glorified. And also God is glorified in him. He's talking about himself here. It says, if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. The whole idea here is now's the time where God's gonna do something amazing. Now's the time. And what's gonna happen here? Right, this is Thursday night that this meal is being had. This, dinner, ti- this day, dinner table conversation is happening on a Thursday night. You know, the Gospel of John is a pretty long book. Um, it's only 21 chapters, so I guess it's not that long. But I want you to think, the first 12 chapters, how much time did those first 12 chapters take? They took a couple of years. He was traveling from town to town, miracles here, miracles there, going up to the temple, going down back to Nazareth. He's doing all this stuff. You know, it's like the, the story stops. It's like it goes in slow motion. The first half of the book covers a couple of years. The next half of the book covers a couple of days, just a few days. It says this dinnertime conversation now is only the disciples. It says he's gonna be glorified with, through what happens here. Verse 33, little children, yet a little while I'm with you and you will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, this is what he said before in the book. Where I'm going, you cannot come. Now, that'd be a little discouraging. Now, for the first time, it's just true disciples. And Jesus says, hey, now that it's just us true disciples, I'm leaving. (laughs) That'd be kind of awkward. Be annoying. It's like, no, no, you should stay now. If it's just us, you should stay. But Jesus says, I'm leaving. And where I'm I'm going, you can't come yet. He's going to explain more later. But he says, now, verse 34, I have a new commandment to give to you is that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. He brings it full circle to what happened in chapter 13, verse one, that he loved these people and he demonstrated it. Now he says, you and me, if we're followers of Jesus, we're called to love one another. Point number four, love you to write this down. Show your love for Jesus by loving others. Show your love for Jesus by loving others. And that's ultimately what it comes down to. He says, if you want to be my people, if you really want to do what I want, if you really care about what I think, Jesus says, love one another. Later on in this conversation, in chapter 15, verses 12, 13, and 14, Jesus is going to say, this is my commandment that I've given you. Love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command you, if you love one another. This is my real friends are the people who lay down their lives for other people. You know, in small groups tonight, the last question, I wanna make sure you get to it. I want you to make a list of ways that you can serve people. There's three categories and maybe this list you make can have these three categories. If you turn around on the back of your worksheet, the last question, there's, I said, make a list of three. I want you to think through it this way. I want you to find these three groups of people. I want you to write down parents, siblings and friends, okay? Parents, siblings, and friends. 
what we're going to look at is how can you lay down your life? How can you love them? So I want everybody to turn over their worksheets, write down parents, siblings, and friends. And then I want you to find one thing you can do for each group. How can I serve them? What's a task that maybe before I thought was beneath me, but now after what I saw Jesus did in washing people's feet, that's not beneath me. I can take out the trash without being asked. I can be kind to that person that I haven't been kind to. I can encourage that person even if they don't like me very much. Things that you might think are small, but, but really you haven't been doing. I want you to write down those. And we're gonna talk about those in small groups. But before that, I wanna pray. And we're gonna do small groups inside. You happy about that? Yeah, yeah you're happy about that. All right, let's pray. God, thank you so much for giving us your word. Thank you for being so clear about what Jesus did for us. We're even appreciating that in this story, we see Peter talk to you about cleansing and forgiveness. And you tell us that we can't even be a part of you unless we're, we're cleansed by you. So we're thankful for that. Pray that the people here would not be like Judas. It was so clear that he was presented so many times with the truth and then he turned away from it because he was selfish. He wanted his own thing. Pray that we would not be like that and you'd help identify ways that we maybe are like that. Pray you help us understand what you want us to do because of this passage through small groups and I pray that we would do it. You know, this passage says that we're blessed if we do, not just if we hear it, but if we do what you tell us to do. So I pray that you would make us blessed in our doing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so here's what we're gonna do. I want the ladies to go first. We've got in your small group rooms, your classic old small group rooms. So that means Rachel and Tammy are gonna be in the corner over there. That means mega group is gonna take up the main space. That means Susan and Brianna, they're going to be in the room that's next to Tammy and Rachel. You guys can head out right now, ladies. That means, who's right here? It is I think Darcy.